Well, it's exciting to be in God's Word again. I always look forward to it. And we're still going through our series in the book of Luke. We had a really exciting time last week in the storm. I hope you felt the splashing of the waves. But I hope more so that you experienced the power of the Lord as we heard how Jesus has power even over the wind and the waves, the natural elements. And as we come to this passage this morning, we're going to see just another aspect of who Jesus is as he shows his control over the spirit world as well. We live in two dimensions. We live in the natural world and we live in the spirit world at the same time. And Jesus Christ is Lord of both. And we're going to see the evidence of that this morning. And I hope it's a reality to you as you try and live in this life. Where you not just have to get through the hard times in life, but that you have the spiritual battle as well. Jesus Christ is Lord even of that world, and he will be there for you as well. So let's turn to God's word, God's inspired word this morning. And it is Bible Sunday today, according to the, um, what's it, the Bible Society. So can I just see you, who of you have got your Bibles? Just hold them up. Yeah, good on you, Wanganui East Baptist Church. I'll be doing that little test again. It's really good to have your sword with you if you're a soldier of Jesus Christ. So let's turn to Luke chapter 8 and we're going to be reading this morning verses 26 to 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Remember they'd come from a town and they'd crossed over and that's where this big storm happened and now they're landing. And when he, that is Jesus, came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out before Jesus and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit. Notice the past tense there. He had already commanded the spirit. He had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert or the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they, that is the demons, were imploring Jesus not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons implored Jesus to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. I always imagine the guys looking after them going, what is happening here? <clears throat> Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the town and in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened, reasonably so. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging Jesus that he might accompany him. But he sent him away saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. I'm pretty sure you're aware, if you just watch a little bit of television and if you've got your eyes open in life today, that there's this great interest, this worldwide interest in the activities of evil spirits, 
the paranormal and our interactions as human beings with them. When I was teaching and we had a school camp for one time, we had these girls who uh, tried this to play the, whatever they called it, the board. Yeah. Um, and these girls got frightened in the middle of the night by something that had happened there and they were screaming. Even our school girls and our school kids dabble with the occult. Many TV programs are around which describe the interaction and the search for contact with the spirit world. If you go on to Trade Me, you'll see all the wicker implements and paraphernalia that are sold on Trade Me. And it is frightening to see that people are wanting to interact with the spirit world in this way. But little do they realize that they are exposing themselves to a dangerous fire that will eventually consume them. And in the West, we are not openly confronted as much by demon possession. It's there. It's very much there. But not as upfront as it is in the East, in the Pacific Islands and in Africa specifically. And there we find demon possession open, upfront, visible and very much at work. People even worship demons and worship Satan in the open, in their tribes. We've heard from Jason Birkin as they've been working in the Philippines, one of the missionary couples that we support, how they've got the spirit world there very much dominating and ruling the people's lives. Very much a reality in people's lives. However, there's good news for you and I today that Jesus Christ The one who is far more powerful than any demon, than Satan himself, and than any other power that can bind you and I today, Jesus Christ is very much alive and active. And he can take these things away from us. He can break the power that anything has over you and I. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So let's meet up with with him and see what he does today. In this passage, we've already seen Jesus' power at work in the natural world over the elements. And today, in today's account, we see his power over the spiritual world as well. So let's look at this man in bondage. And I'm going to be referring to verses 26 to 28 in your text. Jesus has just come across in the boats. They've experienced this great storm. He lands on the shore. And as they're landing on the shore, come comes this man running towards them with no clothes on and screaming. Obviously, something's up. It's not normal. And Jesus recognizes what's happening immediately. He's the Son of God. They're coming into this country, the country of the Gerasenes. It's the area on the opposite eastern shore of Galilee, also called the Gergesenes, the country of the Gergesenes or the Gadarenes, depending on which tribe and nationality you're coming from. It was a region of tombs. It was limestone strata there. And what people had done was they'd carved out holes in this limestone and there they'd laid the dead bodies of those who had passed on. It was a region of tombs. And in this region is this man. And Matthew says there were two men living that came out. But Luke and Mark only deal with the one man's reaction and Jesus' interaction with them. And here we are, and I think this picture kind of illustrates possibly what it might have looked like. We've got this region of limestone, these caves in this area, and then the steep slope going down to the water's edge. Now, to any Jewish traveller, this would have been an unclean area, mainly because it was a country of the Gentiles, and mainly because the main industry in this whole region was pigs. Like we do cattle and sheep, they did pigs. And that's why we know this also wasn't a Jewish area, right? Because the pig pig was definitely unclean. And so here we are in the Gentile country. Jesus has just been coming from the Jewish country and now he comes into this side where the Gentiles are living. And he's going to show his power at work. We see this man comes running down and we learn a little bit about him and it's Kind of important to know what's happening here. He was possessed with multiple demons. How do we know that? Well, when Jesus asks the name of the man, the, the, the demons reply, legion. 
And the legion in Roman times was a, an army and consisted of a thousand troops. But that doesn't mean there were a thousand demons in this man. It just means there were many demons in him, multiple demons. And he, we see that he'd been possessed for a very long time. And the, the townsfolk had tried all kinds of solutions to try and um, keep this man in control. They tried all kinds of natural solutions to a supernatural problem. And that was the problem, you see. They tried to bind him with ropes. They put him under guard. They put chains on this man. They shackled him. And every time he just broke free. You see, one of the characteristics of someone who is demon-possessed is a superhuman strength that they have. And in Africa, we've come across that so often. Superhuman strength. And it's given by these demons. This man had broken every shackle. And just note that the effect of the demons on this man as well, they cause him a complete lack of dignity. You see, Satan and the demons and evil will never do good into anyone's life. It will always try and break down. It's, that is the nature of evil. And so here was this man, complete lack of dignity, no clothes on, and in that society, that was loss of dignity, and it was highly felt. What else do the demons do to this man? Mark tells us a little bit more here. It says that he was self-harming. He was cutting himself with sharp rocks and bruising his own body under the influence of his demons. Not just that, he was constantly miserable. Mark says he was crying out night and day. He never had rest. It was causing him to be violent. And any traveller that came along, came along at their own peril because this demon-possessed man would attack them. And so, this man had become a scourge to the townspeople. They pushed him out. Travellers were really scared of this man. And here he comes, confronting Jesus Christ. I just want to stop here and make a little comment. Satan will never give good gifts. Never. They will always be to the detriment of a human being. And if people want to dabble in the occult and the spirit world, they need to know they are bringing evil on themselves and it's going to break them down. There is no good. And they might have a temporary excitement, but it will always be to their detriment. Very much the nature of sin too, isn't it? Brings detriment to us. You hear those people, you hear people saying, one, one day I'm going to party it up in hell with my friends. Well, I tell you, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be something that they wish they'd never got into forever. Because in the end, they will have eternal destruction. Let's carry on with this demon-possessed man and see how Jesus delivers him, verses 29 to 37. You see, immediately the demons recognized Jesus when they saw him coming along in the boat. And this man comes running down to Jesus and immediately he starts crying out, verse 28. And what that was, was a loud scream. It wasn't saying anything, but it was a second characteristic of demon possession. Just screaming loudly, supernaturally loudly. And they recognized Jesus. James says, James 2 verse 19 that the demons believe and tremble at Jesus. They recognize Jesus and they acknowledge the deity of Jesus Christ. And they even answer the question that the disciples had just asked Jesus on the boat. Who is he? Well, the demons give them the answer. Isn't that amazing? The demons knew who Jesus was. You know, I tremble sometimes when people say they're atheists. And they say there is no God. Well, let me tell them something. The demons knew who Jesus was, and they didn't, they've got no party with Jesus. They don't want to tell anyone about Jesus. They'd rather not tell. But here they recognized who Jesus was. And they said, He is Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. That is who this is. And if the demons proclaim the truth, we'd better believe it. And so they proclaim who He is. That doesn't mean they put themselves under him and believed to Jesus and goodness. No, they didn't want to know anything to do with Jesus. And look at their reaction. They fall down before Jesus and they shout out, What have you to do with us, Jesus? What have you to do with me? In other words, why, do you, why are you bothering us, Jesus? 
You see, this wasn't a challenging shout. These demons were panicking. Because here was Jesus and he could do something about them. What did he come to do with us, Jesus? We're just here bothering this one man. Can't you leave us alone? Please leave us with this man. Why are you bothering us? And then look what they say. I beg you, do not torment me. Very interesting words, those. You see, the exorcism had already started. When Jesus recognized this man running down and that there were demons in this man, he had already started the exorcism. And they recognized what he's doing. And so they plead with Jesus, Jesus, can't we just go from this man into these pigs? Please don't send us into the abyss. It wasn't this man crying for help. This man couldn't, he didn't have the power to cry for help. He was under the control of these demons completely. But Jesus already had pity for him. And so he starts casting these demons out. Can I just stop there? Before we get Jesus delivering this man. Before we come to the Lord in faith, we are very much like this man. We are dead in our sin. We cannot help ourselves. We are under the power of Satan. We cannot see life. We are dead in sin. But it is Jesus who has to come along. He has to show us mercy. He has to show us pity. And he has to take and break Satan's power in our lives. We cannot come because of our own goodness. There is nothing in us. We are dead in sin. And that is this man here. He couldn't help himself. He had a whole host of demons in him. And so these demons cry to Jesus, Lord, please don't send us into the abyss. Now when I saw that word, I thought I'd better just check what this was. And so I started reading up. And it's been a fascinating experience for me. Because it's not a pleasant thing reading about the abyss and hell and torment. It isn't. But the more I read, the more Jesus Christ and what he's done came to the front. And so the darker the, the darkness was, the brighter Jesus shone and everything that he had done. And so let's just very shortly speak about this. What is the abyss? Why did the demons not want to go there? Romans, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 9 verse 1 says this, it's the bottomless pit where smoke comes as from a great furnace. Revelation 9 verse 11 says, Satan himself will be confined there when Jesus Christ comes again. There are other names for the abyss. Apollyon, the Greek word. Hebrew, Abaddon, literally meaning destruction. Other words for, for it is Hades. Hell, and there are many other words for the same word, the abyss. What is it? It's a place of endless imprisonment. It's a place of ruin. It's a place of torment. It's a place of fire, of darkness, and of separation from God. And if you're not a believer here today, you need to hear these words. This is a reality. This is not fiction. This is real. This is fact. And that's why the demons were pleading, Jesus, please don't send us there. Now, I'm going to do a further bit in brackets, and then we'll get back to the story, all right? If Paul could do it, I can do it, but just very quicker than Paul. You see, you might ask the question, so what happens when we die? And I just want to just address that very quickly today. This is a whole sermon and a series of sermons on its own. But very quickly, when we die, what happens? If you're an unbeliever, Jesus Christ hasn't come yet. When you die, you immediately, your body stays on this earth, your spirit departs, and where does it go? It goes straight to hell. Scripture teaches that over and over and over. There is no place of waiting. There is no purgatory. Whatever you might have been taught, you go straight to hell. And your spirit is there already in torment, already experiencing the travail of hell. And you wait there. It's like a prisoner being put in custody. He's waiting for sentencing, right? But he's already in jail. And when sentencing happens, he gets taken out of jail, he gets sentenced, and then he gets the full impact of that sentence back where he was. Same with that. An unbeliever dies, your spirit goes to hell, you start the torments. When Jesus comes again, you are reunited with your physical body, you appear before Jesus Christ for judgment and sentencing, and then you go together with your body back into hell. Guess what? Double torment now. Spirit and body in torment. Forever. And you can't ever get out. 
But praise the Lord for the other side. What happens to you and I when we as believers die? Before Jesus comes, we die, our body dies on this earth, our spirits leave, and where do we go? Place of waiting? No. Purgatory? No. Straight to Jesus Christ. Straight to heaven with Jesus Christ. Jesus said to the man who was on the cross, what did he say? This very day you will be with me in paradise. It's not hard. We make it hard. We put all kinds of theories to this. Jesus says, you die, I will be there for you. And you will go with me and you will be with me. And then one day when Jesus Christ comes again, what will happen? We'll be reunited with our new bodies. I look forward to that. I might have hair. All right. But who knows, we might all be bald. I'll be reunited with my body. And what happens? I stand in front of the judgment throne of God because as believers, we told that as well. And God will hand out rewards and we'll have that discussion about our life. But God will see the blood of Jesus Christ on you and I if we're believers. And then what? We'll spend the rest of eternity with Jesus. I look forward to that. And so I can read about the abyss because I know what Jesus Christ has done. And that really energizes me. So Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Right, we're back in the text. And so these demons plead with with the Lord, Lord, please don't send us to the abyss because they knew what was waiting there for them. And Jesus identifies them. Now I want to stop on that because it's quite important. We just kind of gloss over them. He asks this man, what is your name? But he's speaking to the legion. What is your name? Is that because Jesus didn't know what they were saying? Who they were? No. He's the son of God. What does he do? It's a bit like um, being back at school. I remember the days and you're in assembly and um, the following students, would you please Stay behind, please. You've got a detention to do, or you've got to need to see the principal. And then your name gets written out, read out. And I know, I've been there, done that. So what is happening there? Does the school not know who you are? So they say, if, you're, if this is your name, then please come with us. No, they know exactly who you are. But they are putting you under the authority and saying, you, come with us. You see what Jesus was here when he said to this man, what is your name? He wanted this demon to come under his authority, but but he wanted the man to see this, and he wanted his disciples to see what was happening. And so this spirit is named and put under the authority of Jesus Christ, so that no demon would be left lurking behind in this man. This man would be totally cleansed, and Jesus could do a total work in this man's life. And so these demons come out of this man and they plead with Jesus, Jesus, don't send us to the abyss. Can we go to the pigs? It was like a panic thing, deflecting what was coming. Can we go into the swine? And I can see Jesus, he was always making pictures of everything. And so Jesus sees the swine and he hears the the plead. Because I've always asked myself, why did he listen to the, why does he listen to them? And Jesus says, yes, you can go into the swine. Because that was going to be a dramatic picture of deliverance. Not just for the man, but for his disciples. For the pig herders. And so imagine this quiet scene, this man had just run down, these pigs are kind of quietly doing their own thing. always feel sorry a bit for the pigs. And so there these pigs are, and suddenly these demons go into them, and the whole herd, and Mark says, there was a herd of 2,000 plus pigs. Alright? Massive herd of swine. They all suddenly start squealing and running down this hill that we saw into the water and then they drown themselves. Nice. Now, we might think, okay, 2,000 pigs in the water drowned, so what? No. It was the whole economy of a region. It's a bit like, and I'll pick on fielding a bit now because I've done cattle sales there. It's a bit like going to fielding on a sale day, all right? If anyone's been there, it's just cattle and sheep. It's a bit like that, and suddenly all those animals turn, they break out of the place, and they go running into the nearest river. I can't remember what it is now. All right? The Rangatiki. They're all into the Rangatiki River, and they drowned. Okay, they're gone. That's the economy of that town. This is exactly what was happening in this region. 
You see, they had a collective herd, and these herders were there, and everyone had his few pigs, and they would send them to the collective herd, and they would be looked after. And now suddenly, their resource for the, the economy is gone in that region. You see what had happened here? Very interesting, isn't it? Because when we see re- their reaction, in a way, we can understand what Jesus is doing here. Yes, he's, he's got this picture here of deliverance, and this man could see all this happening. He felt the deliverance, and then he sees all the swine running down, and, and he must have known what was happening there. They've all gone into the pigs, and they're gone. Imagine the disciples' eyes, big like this. They've just come through the storm. No, no dull time with Jesus, is it? And here they are, and this whole pig is, they've, they've gone. The pig herders. And what does Jesus do? You see, we see in the reaction of the townspeople when they come out. It's very interesting that they don't just get afraid, but they reject Jesus. And in a way, all in one blow, Jesus not just teaches a lesson, but he brings judgment on his region too. It's kind of interesting how he does it. So Jesus delivers this man in such an awesome way that no one can say, this isn't Jesus at work. You see, the the disciples had asked this question too, "Who who is this man? And here they see Jesus at work and they get another glimpse in quite an amazing way of who Jesus is. He is not just the one who is in control of the elements, he is one who is in control of the spirit world too. It's fantastic. And Jesus says to this man, I've delivered you. And the man comes and sits at his feet. Now in those days, if you sat at the feet of anyone, that meant you wanted to put yourself under that person and be taught by him. You became his disciple, right? So here's this man, he'd been about to kill Jesus. He's been delivered. And now he's sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus in that place of being taught. And the sheep, uh, the sheep, the pig herders see this. They've begun running out and now the townsfolk come along and they see this man sitting in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus as if he's being taught. And they're afraid. I'd be afraid too. But it's interesting to see how quickly fear turns to rejection. They see Jesus having done this and they don't feel pity for the man. They just see the money gone. And so very quickly their fear turns to rejection, and they ask Jesus to leave. Jesus, leave our region. Look what you've done to our economy. And anyway, we can't handle what you're doing. We like the way we live. Can you, can you leave, please? And I always like Jesus' reaction there. Jesus doesn't preach a sermon. Jesus turns around, gets in the boat, and leaves. There's a lesson there for you and I too. Jesus will never force himself on you and I. Never. Jesus will put the truth before you. He'll work with his spirit. But there comes a time when you need to say, Lord, I want you as Lord of my life. Or, Lord, I reject you. Always. And so Jesus leaves that region. And only later do we see people coming back into that Gentile region in the time of the apostles. Do they bring the gospel in there again? Jesus leaves that region behind them. And just before Jesus leaves, we see this possessed man. He's been sitting at Jesus' feet. And he says, Jesus, please, can I come with you? Can I join your disciples? Can I come and see what else you have? Can I learn more from you? But Jesus immediately commissions him for a task. I love that. He doesn't need a theology lesson. He doesn't need to go to college. Nothing like that. Jesus says, go and tell people what you have seen who doing. The Lord, God. So what is he saying about himself? I am God. Go and tell people what you've seen the Lord doing. Go and tell them. And that will be your service for me. And I love the man's reaction so much better than me. What does he do? He goes. Jesus says go. He goes. He doesn't say but. He doesn't go into a big diatribe. But but Jesus, I could serve you better if I just... No, he goes. Instant obedience. 
I want to ask you some so what questions. We've read the story, it's been interesting. But so what? How does that apply to you and I? The first one I want to ask you is this. Have you been freed from your state of sin and from Satan's power? As we're sitting here, and I know as we're all sitting here, we cannot all be believers. There will be some who are not born again sitting here. And if you are, you are still under the control of Satan. And you've heard of some of the implications this morning of what that brings. And I want to plead with you this morning, come to Jesus Christ and be saved. Experience the power of Jesus Christ in your life. He will break the bonds of Satan forever and he will give you new life and you will be with him forever. Do you hear Jesus asking you to come? Then come. Don't delay and think I'll do it next time. There might not be another time. Come to Jesus Christ today and be saved. Experience the power of Jesus Christ. It's no use trying to apply natural solutions to a supernatural problem. You see, so many times we think we can do good works and we'll be okay. I've got a good friend of mine and he'll remain nameless. And he's busy dying. But he thinks his good works are good enough for him. He doesn't need religion. And I fully agree with him. He doesn't need religion. He needs Jesus Christ. He needs a whole change of life. Are you trying to justify your existence and your place in heaven by good works this morning? You need Jesus Christ. Throw away your good works. They are as filthy rags before him. And cling to Jesus Christ alone. He's the only way that you are going to get into heaven and be saved. Good works won't do it. You might have bad habits and you're just trying to break them. For years you've had these habits and they're bringing you down and you've been trying to break them. But you don't have anyone you can go to. You've tried counsellors, you've tried all these things, but it's still with you. Well, I ask you this morning, come to Jesus Christ. Experience the power of Jesus Christ as he delivers supernaturally into your life. And he can break any power. He can break any hold that there is on you. But you need to come to him. Come to Jesus Christ. I want to speak secondly to you and I as believers this morning. We need to remember what we've been freed from. And I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. What have we been freed from? You see, when this man saw these pigs running into the sea and were drowned, he could see a big picture of what he'd been freed from. What have you and I been freed from? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This is what it says. And remember and be grateful to God as we read these words. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Can a dead body make decisions? No. You were dead. Dead. Stone dead. You couldn't do anything for yourself. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world According to the prince of the power of the air, who is that? Satan himself, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of obedience. Among them, we, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's where we were. But praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. There came a day in your life when suddenly the truth hit you between the eyes and the Spirit came and He made it alive in you and you were saved and now you know you have life in Jesus Christ. Do you remember that day? Do you speak about that day to someone else? Jesus freed you. That's where we've come from. And I give thanks to the Lord for that. But I want to ask you a follow-up question. Does it show in your life? Does it show in your life by the way you speak it out? Does it show in your life by your instant obedience to Jesus Christ? When Jesus points out something in your life, are you instantly aware of it? Do you instantly obey? Or do you drag your feet? You need to remember where you've come from and what Jesus has done for you. Thirdly, I want to ask you this. Is Jesus, as the demon said here, is he the son of the living God in your life? And in your situation. And yes, you might be going through hell on earth at this stage. You might be going through sickness. 
You might be going through financial hardship. You might be going through family that are driving you up the wall. Is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, in your situation? He's all-powerful. He's almighty God. He can break into your situation. He can make a difference in your situation. But have you asked him to do that? Do you believe that he can make a difference in your situation? Or is it all in the head? And none of it in the heart. He is, Lord, in your situation. So why would you stay enslaved to anything? Bring it to Jesus Christ. And yes, it might not be demons in control, but there might be bad habits. There might be specific areas of weakness in your life. There might be a lack of personal discipline in your life. You might be spiritually lazy. Bring it to Jesus Christ and be delivered and live a life of power for Jesus Christ as he enables you. Don't settle for mediocrity in Christianity. Live through Jesus Christ and his power. He can set you free. He does set you free. He will set you free if you ask him to. But you need to humbly plead with him. And he will do it. And then lastly this morning, are you proclaiming freedom to others? You see, Jesus has made us, and you've heard, it, you've heard me say it so many times here, if he had meant us to close our mouths, to receive the good news, close our mouths, he would have taken us from this earth the moment we converted, right? But what does he do? He leaves you and I here as ambassadors. Yes, we hear the power of the gospel. Yes, we respond to it as Jesus Christ gives us life. But he wants us to turn around and tell someone else now, much like he told that man. Do you have the same obedience as this man? You go and do it. How many people have you told about the gospel in the last week? I've asked you this before. In the last month, in the last year, one person? Are you an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Are you obedient to him? Or perhaps you're also rejecting his authority in your life. I'm going to do something a little different. I don't do things like that. I want to read you a story of a real live person, a witch doctor. And this is from my favorite, second favorite country, Ethiopia, where Don and I went. It's a story, and I'm going to read it to you, of how this witch doctor came to find faith in Jesus Christ. Someone who was under the power of Satan his whole life. An evangelist called Wagaso took the gospel to him. And this witch doctor's name was Faltamo. So don't get confused now, okay? Wagaso and Faltamo. Right, I'll read you Faltamo's story, the witch doctor. Faltamo lived in a grove of trees overlooking the villages in the valley. He spent most of his time in his Satan's house, where he mixed medicine of herbs, leaves, roots and berries. He made poisons with which he terrorized and enslaved all the people. They were so afraid of Faltamo that they brought him gifts of grain, coffee and animals to make sacrifices to the spirits. This happened in 1987, by the way. His divining of reasons for sickness, drought or floods usually meant innocent people were blamed for everything that went wrong. They placated the spirits with more gifts for the witch doctor, and this made Faltamo very rich. Outside of Faltamo's house, tall bamboo grew to proclaim his satanic power. If you've got tall bamboo, cut it down at home. Okay, no. The, 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 frame of his power, the fame of his power spread, and people traveled from distant tribes to consult him for potions, charms, spells, and poisons, or for healing. They referred to him as the power of Satan. And brought gifts. A stone altar around a small acacia tree near his Satan's house had bowls of blood, milk, and grain on it. Cotton hung on the trees of, on the branches of the trees, and women rubbed butter onto its trunk. Few people could withstand Faltamo's evil power and influence, and that is why he hated Wagaso so much. They used to be boyhood friends. Wagaso and Faltamo had been the best of friends who had grown up together. Wagaso's decision to follow Jesus Christ had separated them, but Wagaso prayed fervently for his boyhood friend for years. 
And when Faltama heard of Wagasu's praying, it infuriated him, and threats were made against this new religion and its followers. False accusations were made against the Jesus people, and the leaders were beaten. Wagasu was badly whipped and chained in prison for many months. He was left with scars that remained with him all his life. The believers stayed faithful to the Lord, and they kept on meeting and praying. Three times their prayer house was burnt down, but each time the Christians built a bigger one. Wagasu's young son was poisoned. Another son was mysteriously killed while guarding his father's cattle herd, 1987. Wagasu's mule had a leg broken and had to be destroyed. Several of his cattle disappeared or died suddenly, and the witch doctor's herd devoured Wagasu's crop of corn. It was unsafe for Wagasu to walk the trails alone and unarmed. One night, Wagasu's house was set alight, and when the family inside awoke and tried to open the door to escape, they found it was tied shut on the outside. A weak spot in the wall near the cattle stalls enabled the family to escape with their lives, but they lost all their possessions. When Wagasu's family sought revenge, Wagasu forbade them and said, That is not the Jesus way. His way is forgiveness and love. I gave everything I have to the Lord Jesus, and I will trust him. And Wagasu kept praying, especially for Faltamo, the witch doctor. And then the missionary who wrote this, that I met in Ethiopia, um, he wrote this, he said, I knew nothing of this as I slipped and fell a dozen times on my way down the mountain and they were off to visit the village where uh, Wagasa was staying. And all I knew was everything had gone wrong that day. The river was flooded, bushes and debris flowed past the crossing. Tired, covered in mud and bruised, I wondered what to do. Surely it would be better to go back. When all of my companions arrived, I was surprised to find that they were not discouraged. They were also muddy and bruised, but eager to go, go on. One of my companions called Seta said, Satan is fighting hard, so there must be a great victory for Jesus ahead. I love that. He's fighting hard, so there must be a great victory for Jesus. Have you experienced days like it? We joined in prayer, claiming Christ's victory over Satan and all the forces of darkness, and we prayed for a safe crossing. Riding the mules, we plunged into the dirty water. Soon the animals were swimming, and we were swept more than a hundred meters downstream. I was amazed that we were not drowned, but soon we all emerged safely, laughing and rejoicing. We hurried on our way, rode, walked, ran on flat stretches, climbed hills, crossed small gullies and rocky ground and climbed the next hill. The rain cleared and the sun turned the trip into a sauna as steam steam rose from our clothes and saddles. An hour later we reached the crest of the hill, but Seta's mule had gone lame. I wondered what else could go wrong. Even Seta looked discouraged as he joined me near a grove of trees. He said, this mule needs rest, so I must wait until the brothers arrive. Your mule is strong, and you should go on to Wagasa's village. He's speaking to the missionary. I hesitated. What a situation. But I'm a stranger here, I said. I don't know the road. I'll probably get lost. I replied, perhaps it's better for both of us to wait. But they said, no, you go on ahead. And so I coaxed my mule through the trees dismounted and started to walk down the hill. The trail seemed to get better and I hurried on, dragging the mule behind me. A sliver of moon tried to shine through the clouds. Further on, I stopped in my tracks. The road divided into two trails. Which way must I go? Seta said there was only one way. Lord, guide me, I prayed, and started on the left-hand track. It seemed the right one. But after 50 meters, I stopped and returned to the fork. It just did not seem right. Again I prayed for guidance and started on the other path. It was so dark, so still, so quiet. Someone far away started to play a bamboo flute. My torch batteries were going flat and I was glad when the moon came through the clouds. When it disappeared again, it was so dark, black and I felt afraid. The place seemed evil. The mule did not want to follow me. The darkness was like black velvet pressing in on me. I prayed for protection for the precious blood of Jesus Christ to cover me. A wonderful peace suddenly enveloped me as I stood in the darkness. All was quiet as I waited for the moon to appear again. And as I did, I saw the man with a spear and a mule. Uh, I saw a man with a spear and a mule standing in front of me. And then my mule snorted and the man turned around. 
Who is it? The man shouted and came towards me with a spear raised. And this is in a country where they kill people, alright? Quickly I turned on the weak torch, holding it at arm's length. Sarah, peace, it is me, I said. I am a stranger. I've lost my way. Please help me. I was happy to see the man lower his spear. The man shouted something towards some huts among the trees. There was a babble of voices and soon people and with lights appeared. Bunches of grass tied in long stalks and held aloft. The whole area was soon ablaze with light. The man with the spear was the witch doctor, Feltamo. I stepped forward and with outstretched hand I said, I come from the mission station. I come from Waka. This is the people who had followed up from Jean. Feltamo dropped his weapon and reluctantly shook my hand. Tribal custom demanded courtesy and kindness to strangers and travellers. The people relaxed and crowded round. Still holding the witch doctor's hand, I said, I got separated from my companions and I'm going to Wagaso's village. Will you please show me the way? I felt Feltamo stiffen and made to withdraw his hand, but I held on tightly. I like this missionary, he's really got courage. Their culture obligated him to grant my request. We soon left the grove of trees with a witch doctor leading the way and holding the light high to show the way through the large boulders scattered around the fields. One of his lads led the mule while two more came behind with lights. We hurried and I was glad that it was downhill all the way. It was nearly midnight when we finally approached Wagasa's village. A fire was burning in the clearing with about 50 men, women and a few children singing hymns. The refrain was, We are walking in the light. And the sound echoed through the darkness and through the valleys at the, and indicated that he would return home. He had done his duty. Quickly I took his arm and said, I have an important message for you, Faltamo. Please come and listen to it. As we walked together into the village and into the circle of light, the singing petered out and everyone stared at me with the witch doctor on my arm. Old Wagasa stood with his mouth open, amazed. He never expected to see Faltamo in his village. I shouted the greeting, Cero, Cero, peace, peace. After a moment of stunned silence, Wagasa leapt forward. Peace, peace, he shouted. Welcome to our village. He soon had some three-legged stools brought and seated Faltamo and me near the fire. People soon started coming from nearby villages and even at that late hour, the crowd grew. Faltama watched all the activity and wondered about it all. He may have felt uncomfortable in his animal skins, matted dirty hair and unwashed body among the happy, clean and helpful people that Christianity had reached. He sat next to me and listened to Bible stories and testimonies of people who had found peace and real joy in Christ, forgiveness of sin and an eternal hope. Faltama wondered why Wagasa was so friendly towards him. Why was he so happy in his new religion? Why had he no resentment and hatred towards him? You see, this is real. And then I told him the jungle doctor's story about the great wall. Good on, jungle doctor. And that instead of going home, Faltamo stayed the whole night and all the next day, and he asked many questions about the love of God, Christ's sacrifice, and the atoning blood. Seta arrived with the others and their tired meals in the morning, and he shared with Faltamo for a long time, as he was from a witch doctor's family himself, and he understood the fears Faltamo had of evil spirits. Wagaso told Faltamo how Jesus changed his heart and gave him peace. I'm nearly at the end. Listen. It was nearly sunset the next day when Faltamo, the old witch doctor, could not hold out no longer. He stood up, lifted his hand high and declared, Now I believe. I believe God's word. Jesus Christ is stronger than Satan. I want to walk the Jesus road. God forgive my sins. I renounce Satan and take Jesus with my two hands. I love that picture. I renounce Satan and take Jesus with my two hands. He recognized that the power of Jesus could break the hold he had. And remember this is an old witch doctor. Satan's hold was broken on him. That's real. 1987. Jesus can do the same for you and me. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 to 11. I've put it up here for you. Let's read it together please. And read it and believe it. Let's read together. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him 
the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus is Lord of everything, of the spirit world, of anything that might be strong. They are broken because Jesus Christ is God Almighty. And he is God Almighty in your life and in my life. Let's give him praise. Let's worship him with our lives. Let's remember who he is. He is God Almighty, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these accounts in Scripture of real happenings in real people's lives. And Lord, we know that you, Lord Jesus Christ, are Lord of heaven and earth. You are the Son of the living God, God Almighty. And Lord, we thank you that you have the power to work in our situation as you did in this time that we've just been reading about. Lord, thank you that you haven't changed. Your power hasn't diminished. You are still as strong as you were before and you can work in our lives too. Lord, may we live lives of victory before you. May we live lives that don't cower under the the power of Satan and his influences. May you break the sin or the hold of sin in our lives, Lord, with your great power and bring rejoicing and joy to our lives so that people who come into contact with us will know that Jesus lives. They can see it in our lives. Lord, may we be strong and bright shining ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Lord, keep us faithful to you. May we obey you quickly when you show us areas in our lives because you can do it. Lord, be merciful to us. And I pray for any here that still do not know you, Lord Jesus. May they come to you, the Almighty God, and be taken from the power of Satan and be brought to the kingdom of light, and your name will be glorified. Do your work, we pray. Amen.